the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. A lot to get to today, including your mailbag questions. As always, the best way to add your question, your topic to a future mailbag episode is to go and leave us a five-star review. In that review, put your question. It'll get added to the big old bag of mail. I'm going to be getting into some from the recent weeks, uh, looking ahead to a week four matchup. Also, some lingering ones after week two and week three that I think are still very relevant and exciting topics that I'm ready to dive into. Uh, Before we do that, I want to get into some headlines. We've got a lot of quarterback injuries that we need to get to, but first we need to really pour one out for uh, just one of the treasured quarterbacks on this punt cast, someone whose name was mentioned so many times between the months of April and August as reasons why we were in on Utah as a Pac-12 South Dark Horse. Uh, it is former Baylor quarterback and now former Utah quarterback, uh, Charlie Brewer. According to the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, he has left the program. Uh, Utah a spokesperson informing the Salt Lake Tribune, we wish him the best in his endeavors. Super disappointing that it didn't work out after going 15 for 15 in the spring game. But also disappointing to see the way that this broke down where you know Cameron Rising leads Utah back against San Diego State. They do end up losing, but he has three touchdowns in the effort. And now Cameron Rising, former Texas quarterback, you know, you still got Jaquindon Jackson, another former Texas quarterback in that quarterback room. Am am I being um old old man compete guy for being a little upset that our boy Chucky Brewer is bouncing at this point in the season? Kinda. Okay. No, you're I mean, not. Okay. Go with your gut. Go I with mean, your gut. I, I was just thinking, like, I would be very disappointed if after going through the entire transfer process, after trying to learn Andy Ludwig's offense, an offensive coordinator who I think um, is very good and has shown us, especially in that 2019 season with Tyler Huntley, that he can lead to good results. Um, I, I'm a little bit disappointed he's not going to stick around and at least ride this thing out and see what happens at the, the quarterback room. Yeah, but if he rides it out and he sticks around for a few more weeks and he the job's not his, he loses a year of eligibility. This is he's only got one left. So by leaving now, he's assuring that he could use 2021 as a redshirt year, which will still allow him a chance to play somewhere next season. So I get what you're saying, but if if I'm Charlie Brewer and I'm guessing, you know, decision he's making he kind of has pretty good intel on what the plan is for the rest of the season so yeah i i get it 
I understand the competitive aspect of it, but if he wants to keep playing, this is probably the smartest decision decision for him because if he stays at Utah and Cam Rising gets hurt and he has to go back in, that's going to burn up eligibility for and his chance to transfer for one more season. So it's either that or stay with the team and just say, yeah, no, I'm here, but I'm not going to play. This is everything I hate about where we are in college football because both of you guys are right. Like if in college football's big business, this is a business decision. We hear that all the time. Players have to decide when to leave early. Now we're getting NIL deals. You have to do what's best for you. So yeah, from that perspective, it makes a ton of sense. If you can save a year by yourself to try somewhere else, his third school, by all means do it. But I also I'm struggling with the aspect of what I try to teach my daughter since the time they were in you know, my my daughter hated soccer when she was four years old. They didn't even know what to do. She would cry on the way there. I'm like, we signed up, dang it. We're finishing the year off with the team. I don't care if you like it or not. We're going to finish the year. And we did. And then she didn't play soccer again. But we finished what we started. Like, from that aspect, I think the optics of this are just poor. But Tom's right, too. Like, if you really want to play – and you want to maximize your potential, or maybe you just want to play a season and try to compete for a championship. That's out the window, and you want to go somewhere else, then yeah, you you have to do this. I'll be curious to see what happens with Charlie Brewer. Like, is that what this was about? Um, you know, was this an agreement? Like Kyle Whittingham, did they have a conversation? He said, Yeah, you know what? We're probably going to start working on our future, you know, and if if even if something happens to Cam Rising, we're still not going to come back to you. Maybe it is best to move on. Um, then there's another aspect to this, too, where, you know, the bonds that are built over time, like bonds that when I went to Florida State with guys in my class, I would have felt like I was bailing on them. Well, guess what? He's only been around these guys for seven or eight months. You know, he, those bonds aren't very deep yet. So I get it. I just hate that this is a part of college football, and yet it is. So the but then you know it's going to happen for Charlie Brewer if he does want to come back for another season. Which I, I guess in my head I thought that it was going to be like you do this with Utah, and then hopefully you put together the kind of season that gets you drafted in the NFL. Now we're going to be talking about uh, like Nick Starkle, Austin Kendall out here, mm -hmm. right? Where. Now you're going to become a novelty. You know what, Charlie Brewer? If you go land at a group of five program and and you uh, put up great passing statistics, then yeah, I guess you can uh, rehab your image. I thought that it would be something that would be, uh, you know, kind of a disappointing thing. Like if you find out that your team signed Charlie Brewer as a transfer quarterback, do you think now that he's going to be someone that is going to elevate you it, in the same way that I thought that Charlie Brewer could elevate Utah? And that might've been my fault. But doesn't it come with a little bit of lowered expectations just by the time you get to school number three? I think so. But I, I, for me, it's not so much that it's, it's going to be school number three as much as it's what's happened to Charlie Brewer. Like if you look, he started at Baylor for four years. Through the first three seasons, he was at, you know he was averaging about seven point nine yards per attempt. Adjusted, it was probably about seven point nine still too. Then last season at Baylor, his yards per attempt drops to 6.1. His adjusted yards dropped to 5.9. His rating dropped to a career low of 122.3. His completion percentage was only 61.7%. This year at Utah, his numbers are getting even worse. Same yards per attempt at 6.1, but the adjusted yards per attempt is down to 5.2, a rating of 117.2, just as many interceptions as touchdowns. It's like ever since Matt Rule left Baylor, I feel like he took Charlie Brewer with him. 
Sad. <laughs> I mean, probably not wrong. Um, There's El- also the chance maybe, uh, and this will be interesting to see, maybe he's just tired. Maybe he's burnt out. Maybe he's had one last try. Didn't work. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm good. It's a lot of work. Like, it's hard to go to practice every day, and then you don't get the reward of playing. Um, so maybe that's it, too. Who knows? Sticking in the Pac-12 South, uh, we've got both quarterbacks are banged up at USC right now. You know, we spent some time on Monday's show talking about Jackson Dart and the great performance that he had. We were looking at Keaton Slovis, wondering what's going on with the job. I This might have been my fault when we were putting in preparation. I noticed that Jackson Dart was a little bit hobbled, but I didn't realize that um, they were you know, a little bit concerned about Jackson Dart's knee. Uh, he's undergone some testing this week, interim coach Dante Williams, telling the media, media that he hopes that Jackson Dart will be you know, cleared to play medically. We do have Keaton Slovis back. Remember, he was knocked out of the game with a neck injury. Slovis appears to be set to start um, moving forward if needed. What do you make of the USC quarterback room uh, as we continue to look at that offense moving forward? From what I mean, we saw that offensive line in the spring, we should have seen this coming. <laughs> you know, yeah, like these quarterbacks are going to be taking a pounding. Um, man, if you're Jackson Dart, though, or if you're Keaton Slovis, like I can understand the dynamic of either one being like, I, I got to find a way to play. Like I'm trying, and that's the competitive spirit in me. I would have been like saying, there's no way I'm not starting again after I just threw four touchdowns, helped my team coming back. I don't care what the injury is. I'm going to try to play through it, but hey, it's a reality of the game. Now, I do think this puts an incredible amount of pressure on Keaton Slovis to deliver because if you struggle, not only are the fans going to be clamoring for you, but there's a chance your teammates and your coaching staff are going to say, hey, interim staff, like who cares? We're not committed to anybody long term. We're going to go with the hot hand. So you might see now at USC a revolving door at quarterbacks, which is not great for any team, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, Dante Williams said after the game on Saturday, after Dart played and they won, he said, you know, it's going to be a quarterback battle now with, with you know, he's like, he was basically saying Slovis isn't guaranteed of the starting job when he comes back. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch because, I mean, obviously Jackson Dart played well on Saturday, but it's one game, even he does have sweet eye black, but Slovis has been the guy there for a while. It's just Slovis is kind of similar to Charlie Brewer in that if you look at the numbers the last couple of years, they've kind of dropped off a cliff from what he put up as a freshman. Like he came out that first year through for 3,500 yards, 30 touchdowns, nine interceptions, have completed like 72% of his passes. Then last year, he obviously, he looked like we, we talked about it. He, he didn't look 100% last year. The numbers dropped off and we started this year. And the numbers this year were worse than they were last year so far in a lot of the, you know, the, the important areas. Like his yards per attempt so far this season is down to 6.1. Now, maybe that's the offense or maybe that's just he's still not like he was uh, Mike. He was dealing with shoulder stuff, right? Maybe he's mm-hmm. still kind of dealing with shoulder stuff and he just doesn't have the kind of zip and the ability to push the ball down the field like he did his freshman season. So I think, honestly, with Dante Williams in charge now and the fact that he said it's a quarterback battle and he's openly saying that, I think if Dart's healthy, Dart's going to play. Do y'all think that Dart is a, put yourself in Dante Williams shoes. If both medically cleared, would you rather have Dart? Do you think he gives you a better chance to win? 
I don't know if he gives you the better chance because again, it's like I don't I don't think we should be putting too much stock into a performance against Washington State because Washington State might be really really bad. But I mean, I feel like if you are that staff, even even with Clay Helton gone, it's you know it's a staff that's been there for a while. You kind of know what you have with Keaton Slovis. You've seen it. With Jackson Dart, there's that. He's had a great game, and there's the mystery box factor. It could be anything. It might be great. It could be Keaton Slovis. It could be better. So I think that with this staff there and with maybe some guys trying to, you know, there's I think there's a natural reaction to when the coach gets fired and, like, you become the interim or everybody kind of takes a little small step up the ladder, and it's like, hey, this job could be mine. Keaton Slovis got Clay Helton fired. That's not fair, but you get what I'm saying. I don't mean, yeah. you know, he's like, maybe this guy is the guy that leads us. And all of a sudden it's like, I make this change. Jackson Dart plays well. And maybe now I get the job. So next uh, three games, I- I'm going to lead you right into, they've got a bye week between uh, the October 9th date against Utah. And then when they play Notre Dame and South Bend on October 23rd. So we got three more weeks before the bye. Oregon State at home. Colorado on the road, Utah at home, over under two and a half wins from that stretch for USC. Oregon State's a win. Mm-hmm. Colorado's a win. Yeah, I'm going over. Danny? Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I think, think USC can still win the South. Yeah. Yeah. They've got a stretch right now because the Stanford loss hurts them with their conference record, but that is an out-of-division loss that they could make up with a division win coming later in the year. Like we, we sit here, and it, that would be very USC. Nothing would honor Clay Helton more than to win the division <laughs> in the season that he got fired uh, after he went 5-0 five five and, and won the division. So I'm, I think that whoever ends up uh, playing in, at quarterback and whatever happens with the offense over the next three weeks, if Oregon State, Colorado, and Utah are all wins and they are all wins where that team is able to build a little bit of confidence heading into that bye week, I would not pick the Trojans to win in South Bend. But then after that, they would um, they would stare down the final five weeks of their schedule with a chance to go and win the Pac-12 South. And hey, just get a shot at Oregon. And that's, that's all you can ask for. That's the thing. Like, I'm not picking them to go to Notre Dame and win right now either. But the way Notre Dame's looked so far this season, like, it's not crazy to think USC can go to South Bend and win. Which, by the way, we've got Wisconsin-Notre Dame on tap this week. USC and Wisconsin, two of the, like, 14 teams that have a bye before playing Notre Dame this year. (laughs) Yeah. It is. I truly think it might be half of Notre Dame's schedule. I think it's their next four opponents. All have an off week. Yeah. Going into it, Tom, you going to that game? No, no, they don't, they don't allow me out of the house, Dan. <laughs> just, it's, I got to be here live blogging. I got to be doing the HQ. You know, I've, I've got to cover it all. Gotcha. Yeah. Multi-platform excellence. If you get get out there in a press box, you're only on one platform. <laughs> you know, we got to keep it keep it varied. Um, all right. Speaking of quarterbacks, uh, Ohio State should. Roll Akron. I am so sorry for what Akron is going to face because of everything that Ohio State needs to prove to itself, everything that Ohio State wants to show to the its roster, its you know, wide receivers. You know, we've touched on that extensively. 
CJ Stroud, as we had learned um, in the last like week or so, dealing with a little bit of a, a shoulder issue with his throwing shoulder. He's ex- he's on track to to start and play. However, because it's Akron, I am also expecting to see a good bit of the backups. Wanted to get take y'all's temperature on the expectations. Um, I believe Kyle McCord's probably going to be our number two here. Do you think we go to number three, or do you think that this ends up being extensive time for McCord? And how does that factor into your expectations of the quarterback position and how Ryan Day is going to handle it uh, moving forward? I think it's a tricky spot because, I th- as, as Bud's mentioned before, I think that in this day and age with the transfer portal, you've got to keep the backups happy. Like, you've got to get them some playing time. You have to give them reason to believe they have a path to the field in the future or else they're going to start exploring their other options because there are going to be plenty of schools that are still interested. But I think that you run the risk if you're Ryan Day. Like, I don't think there really is any kind of quarterback controversy at Ohio State. I think C.J. Stroud has played as well as can be expected of a freshman. And... If you take Stroud out, like say he comes out and plays well enough, you know, Ohio State builds a big lead, but then you bring in McCord, you bring in Miller, you bring in whoever, and they play really well too, all of a sudden, now is becoming, it's like, oh, well, it's the same situation we just talked about at USC. Like if Slovis never gets hurt, we're ne- none of us are talking about Jackson Dart. If you bring in the backups, it becomes a quarterback battle in the yacht. You know, it's going to become like a thing. And it could become a distraction. And I don't know if that's something that Ryan Day really wants with Ohio State. So it's it's a tricky situation that he's got to try to figure out where it's like, I got to get these guys some playing time or they're going to leave for sure. But I don't want to create a distraction if one of them outplays Stroud in a game against a terrible Akron football team. Because that's the thing, too. Like, no matter what happens in this game, we shouldn't take anything away from it because Akron is bad. This is why you do what Ryan Day has done. You have four quarterbacks in that room, all of them, like, what is it, three five-stars and one four-star? I mean, mm-hmm. this is why you have that depth, because they're they're not all going to stay. Um, if I'm C.J. Stroud, like, we were talking about Keaton Slovis or Jackson Dart finding a way, like, there's no way. Like, I, I, I was surprised that it said Ryan Day looks like he'll be okay. There's no way I'm going to give another quarterback an opportunity to go out there and showcase what he can do against Akron. Because I already know the rumblings from the Ohio State fan base. You know, the first half of Minnesota, they're ready, they're calling for Quinn Ewers, who's not even at mm-hmm. the game. Like they're just ready to pinch him. So you don't want that to happen. But then if you're Ryan Day and you you give McCord some reps, he's probably going to look good. So you give him opportunity to showcase his scout as his skill set to everybody else too, like to every other team. Like that's going to be recruiting him off of your roster because if CJ Stroud comes back in, you're probably going to lose McCord. So one of these guys at the end of the season. So you just have to collect as many as you can, keep them happy as long as you can. In the end, you're probably going to lose one or two, and you just try to find the the one or two that make the most sense for you and give you the best chance to win. Like I, I think this is really tricky to to monitor. I would say you try to boost. CJ Stroud's confidence as much as possible. Get him in there, get him some reps, however long it takes, get his stats back up there. I do think those kind of matter. You get him feeling good about himself for kind of the next stretch of tougher games. Because if he doesn't play and those other guys come in, that's only going to undermine his status. Um, 
it's going to just it's, it is what it is it's a it's a problem that a lot of coaches would love to have <laughs> yeah and it's it's funny too because it's like if we think about it Brian uh, Quinn Ewers just got there a month ago but he's had the other three he's had Stroud McCord and Miller there for a long time going into the offseason he knew they were replacing Justin Fields the buzz was always that it's a quarterback battle, but Stroud was always seen as the leader. They go through the spring, they go through the summer, they go through all of this, and clearly, in Ryan Day's eyes, C.J. Stroud has been the better of the three quarterbacks and now maybe the four. And then they're going to go out there and Kyle McCord's going to throw for three touchdowns against Akron, and everybody's going to react like that cancels out everything else that led up to the season. So that's why it's a tricky situation. So if Ryan Day navigates this quarterback position and solidifies the defense. He's my coach of the year. Like if, if seriously, like this is, we always talk about how Ryan day got handed the keys to the Cadillac and urban had everything set up. The support staff was there, the strength and conditioning. He just inherited all the talent as well. The recruiting operation. Uh, oh man. Like r- there is a read of how Ryan day got to where he is as like, privilege right like he's the everything has just been handed to him i think that ryan day has an opportunity to prove that he is built to be a head coach um at the top of college football and listen when this comes to like management which i i read this as just like very much like management type decisions that's also going to get the nfl interested if he's able to navigate this but what i can control is my coach of the year vote and if ryan day it does a, a good job of you know empowering CJ Stroud and CJ Stroud is a or whoever uh, if they get successful um, play at the quarterback position if their defense is solidified and by whatever he's done in terms of changing play calling or assigning the duties if if that leads to the defense playing better especially in the biggest games of the season against a Penn State and against a Michigan in the Big Ten championship game against Iowa or Wisconsin then or Illinois. Um, then just kidding. Uh, then I think Ryan Day is will have shown that while he's been handed a terrific situation, he's got the coaching chops to be able to be worth that paycheck and that job. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree, but I think what's funny is we're focusing on the QB. You mentioned the defense. I think Saturday's game against Akron is going to do a lot more to decide maybe some new guys getting playing time on defense than it will at the quarterback spot. Mm. Isn't the, that argument that uh, you the freshmen should be playing more? Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of like of JTT and a lot more of the freshmen on that defense getting snaps just to see. Not not necessarily saying they're going to take over starting jobs, but I think that they're going to get an audition to prove that they deserve more snaps. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, one more uh, injury related interesting headline, especially with an eye on some on week four. Clemson defensive tackle Tyler Davis. He is the starter there. He's a phenomenal player, but has been dealing with injuries for a lot of the last two seasons. Missed a bunch of weeks uh, last year with the knee issue. Got it right by the end of the season. And this is going to be out seven to eight weeks. I believe it's a torn bicep. It's either bicep or a chest muscle, but disappointing for Davis. Successful surgery. They're hopefully going to be able to get him back in time for the postseason, whatever that may be for the Clemson Tigers. Uh, But... They are now going to be replacing him going up against an NC State team that, in my eyes, uh, yes, like, go ahead and roll your eyes at my homerism here, but I think that Grant Gibson, the NC State center, is an NFL player. I think that Ike Okwonu at tackle is an NFL player. They've got a great one-two punch with Bam Knight and Ricky Person. I think for Clemson, 
losing that experience. And Tyler Davis had been playing really, really well so far this year. It was something that Dabo said on Tuesday. I think that this is just one injury. Not that it would tip your tip the outcome for Clemson because Clemson's defense has played very, very well. And I think that Clemson's defense has shown us um, on in a lot of different ways that it is one of the top units in the country and they have the kind of mentality that even though the offense, when it ain't doing squat, that Clemson defense has not quit and it's been able to really carry that team in ways that the Tigers need them to. I think it's a, it's a significant injury ahead of what I would think is one of the toughest games on Clemson's remaining schedule at NC State in Carter-Finley Stadium on Saturday. I definitely think it's a significant injury because he's a good player. But, I mean, if I'm Clemson and I'm Brent Venables and I'm being honest with myself, if there's a position group where I feel like I would rather lose a player for two months that I can afford it the most and it's between my defensive line, my linebackers, and my safety, I'd very much choose to lose one of my defensive linemen because I've got plenty of guys who I think can at least step in and fill in and play well. I feel like if I lose a starting linebacker or a starting defensive back, I don't have nearly the same kind of depth that I have that kind of trust in behind them. So I feel like that would be a bigger deal if I'm Clemson. So it sucks as far as the injury is concerned because he is a good player and he's an important player. But I think they'll have an easier time replacing him than they would somebody like, you know, Skalski or Nolan Turner or whoever. I would say even of the issues that Clemson's faced this season, defense isn't one of them. So even if they lost one of those key players, at least this is a unit that you feel like, okay, we can trust this unit. I The offense is my concern. I know Dabo's like, we don't stink, which nobody's saying they stink, and yet that's what he's hearing, which is interesting because I think that's all he's been hearing the last several years. I mean, it's what happens when you're a good team. We're going to nitpick you, right? We're going to hold you to the standard of multiple national championships. So he's off a little bit, Dabo, on us you know, being critical of your team. Um, I wouldn't worry about it that much either. I'm more worried about the offense. I do think it would be really nice if Clemson had a breakout game. And I like I love the wild college football season. I love that. And maybe it is, and maybe Clemson isn't very good. But like what I don't want to get into is that whole they played down, they're at, but they still go under, you know, undefeated in ACC, win an ACC with one loss. And then we're debating, hey, is a Clemson team that's one loss to Georgia and they've had really kind of ugly wins, like the Florida State. 14. 2014, when they made the playoffs and they got bounced by Oregon. Like, I don't want to see that either. So it'd be nice for Clemson to have a breakout game. I don't know if they get it against NC State. I'm with you, Chip, but I, there's a possibility it could happen. So we'll see. NC State, um, I think an NC State fan is probably aware that the get right game is coming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's always dread in the heart of an NC State fan, especially in a, the spot where the opportunity feels like it's right there. You can just reach out and grab it. And uh, I, it's like the outcomes of, you know, NC State straight up upset, possible, I'm saying less likely, close Clemson win that makes you feel less confident, possible, maybe even likely. Close Clemson win that makes you feel more confident, I don't think that's very possible. But the Clemson get-right game, I think, is is something that if it doesn't come against NC State, uh, it's going to come pretty soon because, you know, like Lynn J. Dixon, the veteran running back, has left the program as Will Shipley has emerged as uh, the real feature back there. They're, 
they're going through some some wholesale changes trying to figure out a way to uh, to go and get right. Yeah, and and Dabo can like do the Dabo thing where he brushes off like, oh, apparently our offense stinks. It does. Yeah. It like so far this year, like it's I obviously like the Georgia game in such in a three game sample that Georgia game is going to have a huge impact. But we're talking about a Clemson team that currently ranks dead last in the ACC from yards per play perspective. And if you want more advanced stats, as far as points per drive, they rank 118th nationally as far as available yards, which is, you know, exactly what it sounds like. How many yards of the available yards to it does your offense get when it has the ball? They rank 104th nationally. And again, the Georgia game is having a huge impact on that, but it counts and your offense does stink so far. Mm. Coming up on the other side, opening up the big old bag of mail with your questions and our answers next. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Man, there is no better feeling than knowing that you can skip the grocery store. Just cross it off your list. It's not something that you need to do because there is a variety of butcher box meat already waiting for you in the freezer. I mean, butcher box makes it so easy when you can get that high quality meat delivered right to your door. Options like 100% grass fed and finished beef free-range organic chicken, humanely raised pork, wild-caught lobster tails, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon for all the fish lovers out there, and sugar-free bacon. Everyone loves bacon. And today, today, our sponsor, ButcherBox, is offering our listeners ground beef for life. That's right, beef for life. For a limited time, ButcherBox is giving new members two pounds of free ground beef in every order for the life of your membership. Imagine never having to shop for ground beef again. I mean, this deal is a no-brainer, and the process is totally simple. Once you sign up for ButcherBox, choose your box and delivery frequency. They offer five boxes, four curated box options, as well as the popular custom box, so you can get exactly what you and your family love. ButcherBox ships your order frozen at peak freshness and packed in a 100% recyclable box and shipping. It is always free. 
So you get to enjoy great tasting, high quality meat delivered right to your door. I mean, the experience of being able to get your favorite cut of meat and just have it right there in your freezer, it it makes all the meal planning so much easier. It is the best meat shipped right to the door, which means, like I said, cross it off the to-do list, one less trip to the grocery store. So this is your chance to never have to shop for ground beef again. So sign up for ButcherBox. New members getting that free ground beef for life. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash cover three to get two pounds of ground beef for free in every order for the life of your membership. Log in today. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash cover three to claim this deal. Again, that is butcherbox.com slash cover three. I was amazed this morning, scanning the big old bag of mail, pulling questions. Mm. Two questions about Nebraska Purdue. <laughs> we have we have a very specific set of tastes. <laughs> when there are two questions about Nebraska Purdue, all right. Uh, let's start with this question is from Jay Bruck. Chip, you seem to have a strong disagreement to Tom's comment about Nebraska over Purdue in the Week Three reactions pod. Shortly after, you had mentioned that Buffalo was a pretty good team. Curious as to why you think Nebraska, why you don't think Nebraska is good enough to beat Purdue when they handled a pretty good Buffalo team soundly, followed up by a good showing in Norman against a playoff team in Oklahoma. Would love to hear the pod's thought about a Nebraska team that has rebounded nicely following the Illinois loss. Next question comes from um, Hall. Love the show. I don't understand Tom's perpetual slander of Purdue 2-1 and one, got beat by number 12. The game was way closer than you make it sound, if not for some homer calls and cheap shot <laughs> plays. It would have been a coin flip. Kyle Hamilton losing composure will cost a game this year. Will Tom admit he is wrong when Purdue beats Nebraska and goes to a bowl? Also, why does it seem 90% of the offensive lines across the country are terrible this year? <laughs> So every Danny, do you want to like split the tie on this? Like, what's your read on Purdue and Nebraska? Oh my goodness! All right, so Nebraska is tough because, like, it's interesting in the question. He said they played tough against a, a playoff team. How we feel about Oklahoma? Like, do you feel worse about Oklahoma because they didn't dominate Nebraska, or do you feel good about Nebraska because they went toe to toe and had a chance in the fourth quarter to win the game? Had it been meant for maybe one of the plays of the year? with the interception that was made uh, to kind of seal it. I think you've got to feel better about Nebraska clearly than you did. I think this weekend is when you're going to find out a whole lot more about the real Nebraska. Like I think get going to East Lansing, playing against Michigan state. Let's see what you do against Kenneth Walker. The third, like you show me that defense that you showcased against Oklahoma, like physical. Those are the teams that you're going to have to play tough against. Like those are the that's a typical Big Ten type of matchup. And then for Purdue, uh, I think Purdue, and this is kind of interesting because Jeff Brom has been there for a while now. I do think this is a massive, massively important season for him. I thought they had a chance in that game. We all did, right? We all kind of were on the pen, uh, Purdue catching seven and a half. I still think they're good. I think in the end, they're probably a seven or an eight-win team, which would be a massive step in the right direction. Maybe seven. Saw Chip's surprise there to go all the way to eight. But like that's what they need to be this year. You don't go from, what were they last year? Three wins? 
Yeah, something like that. You don't go from there to nine in a season, like typically. So, you know, it's is that did that answer any question? My two wishy, my two on the fence on these teams. I mean, they're like when I say that Nebraska is better than Purdue, I don't mean like a touchdown better. <laughs> I mean, they're like I think they're better than Purdue. I think they're two very similar teams. Like, it's two just, points on a neutral field. Yeah. Like hell, maybe a point and a half. It's it's not like either one is incredibly better than the other one. It's just from what I have seen with my eyes, just the way that they have played football, I think Nebraska is better than Purdue. I think that it would win more often. I still think Purdue, if you put them on a neutral field, probably wins 47, 48% of the time. But I think Nebraska wins 52, 53% of the time. That's really is, is what it comes down to. I came away from the last two weeks and like this is almost probably a more of a like a Monday upon further review, especially since it's tied to a Saturday night uh, take. Like, yeah, like I, I probably should be a little bit more impressed with Nebraska and the way that it's is kept things together because on August 28th, we were ready to fire Scott Frost. Mm -hmm. Like this is, that was it. It's like, Oh, you lost this game. The season's just gonna like bottom out. And I, I do think the way that Nebraska played against Buffalo was what exactly what you wanted to see. I was a little bit disappointed, even though Purdue was in the game against Notre Dame and Notre Dame is one of those teams that can do this to you. They were never going to win. Right. Notre Dame does a really good job of being able to establish just like a little bit of leverage and just keep you at arm's distance the entire way. And right when you think that you're about to have that score, they just they like Kyle Hamilton happens, you know, like they do have just enough um, super talent to be able to go out there and, you know, like. They don't. They are not loaded with NFL players, but they've got enough NFL players that, and they are strong enough elsewhere that Notre Dame does a very good job of establishing some some real leverage, I guess, within the competition. And I I thought that Purdue could make it a little bit more of a back and forth. I mean, DK wasn't the two for one special, the over. Yeah, too? yeah, I, that was one of the more surprising ones of the weekend too. That there wasn't a higher scoring game. These two teams, I'll take Nebraska to beat them in Lincoln when they play. Yeah, but not like I don't. I think it's gonna be a good game. Like I think the the fact that we're even discussing them comparatively speaks to where it is an open discussion. It's not mm -hmm. a slam dunk one way or the other. And even go back to the Nebraska loss to Illinois to open the season. Like their win expectancy in that game was fifty nine percent, and that's not before a game. That's just post game. They were they should have won that game fifty nine percent of the time. So it's not like they played terribly. They just got upset in the first game of the season. And I think just the fact that it's, oh, my God, Nebraska lost to Illinois, we kind of went immediately into Scott Frost is doomed. This team still sucks. There's no hope. But I think they've just done a really good job of responding. I agree. Um, and, and now, look, David Bell's in the concussion protocol. Now Purdue, after beating, winning its first two games, now you're trying to make sure that, Oh, get the coaching coaching cliche bell ready. One loss doesn't become two, you know, yeah. and, and you've got to start putting this together. Also, not to spoil a lock, but I would not be surprised if Nebraska went to go face that Michigan State team and won. Straight up. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, all right. Next question. This one comes from Brett. How would you guys go about accepting a job midseason or having serious interest in a head coaching job midseason. 
These coaches are in a lose-lose situation no matter what they say with people dissecting every word that comes out of their mouths. What would you say to the media and what would you say to your team? I kind of liked James Franklin's response. I would tell my agent to leave me the hell out of it. That's, like you'd rather be a dark horse. Like you'd rather be the surprise team. Candidate. No, no, no. I'm saying like if if they let contact my agent, yeah, let find out what they're willing to do, but don't tell me. Like I'll figure that shit out. Or, sorry, I'll figure that stuff out after the season's over. Like I'm trying to. I want to make sure that by the time my season's over, they still want me. You know what I mean? But like, you've got to tell your you got to tell your team something. No, I don't. Who was it? Was it Matt Rule? That told his team he was going to Carolina. Was it? I think he told them before. I want to. There was some coach that did before their bowl game, and was pretty honest with them. Um, well, I though. I would do what Tom said. I would yeah. do. Tom, I would. I would say that my agent. I and I also think there's a way to handle it with the media. Like I thought, Luke Fickle has put on a clinic on how to deal with the media. Uh, I think Mario Cristobal has been a little bit of a disaster. He was on with Gottlieb, and Gottlieb asked him a question. And, you know, it was pretty open-ended. Like, what do you think? Uh, you know, obviously the USC job is open. Do you have any comments? And Mario goes, my only comment is go Ducks. And Gottlieb, like, because he has to. A reporter, yeah. an interviewer has to go, well, I know you say go Ducks. And then he got, like, irritated with him. Like, that's not the way to go either. I don't think the way to go the route of Nick Saban, I'm not going to be the coach at, at Alabama is the way to go either. I think you kind of just – you have to be a politician. You have to talk your way around it to the media. Say, I'm honored to be a part of this discussion, but right now I am focused on winning a championship and we have this opponent this week. That's all I'm focused on. And then behind the scenes, I would probably do what Tom's saying. Like my agent handles all of that. I don't want to deal with that distraction. I do think it was interesting though that the question did pose like, would you ever consider leaving midseason? No. No. no, I don't think that no. would ever happen. Although Charlie Brewer just hung up on his team. We danced around that one like, oh, it's no, it's hey, it's got to do what he's got to do. Like it's USC. It's one of the best jobs in the country. The coach would get eviscerated for doing yeah. that. Well, Absolutely eviscerated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should. But yeah. I mean, I I think too, like that's the thing, because it's September. So it's like it's one thing to tell your team at the end of the year before the bowl game, hey, I'm leaving this, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. But when you still got the entire season to play, and I think, yeah, that's probably the way you handle the questions is you just sit there and say, focused on whoever the hell it is we're playing this week. I love it here. I love being here. I love this job. I could be here forever. Don't say I will. Don't make any definitive statements. Just say if I was here forever, I'd be happy. You mentioned uh, Luke Fickle. I was going to pull his name as well because he said, oh, good, because if I'm being considered for USC, that means that our team is doing well and our program is healthy. And you know what that means? That means that more people are looking at our team. And I'm telling my players, more people are looking at you. Like more, there is just more interest for this program. There's all these teams that only can take up but so much oxygen. If I am considered the leading candidate for this USC job, Cincinnati has now become a team that we check in on every single week. And I think that that message resonated. Again, hard to say when I'm translating it through the broadcast team that is, you know, re relaying what Luke Fickle has told them. But the story was that, you know, the, the players appreciate the honesty and then like are almost joking back with him. Like, Ooh, so, so where are you going to live in Los Angeles? Or, you know, I just sort of like being able to make it more of a lighthearted thing where 
you reset the focus to say, we are all committed on this season and everyone's going to be watching us this season because of the success that you've had and because of this other thing that we cannot control. So let's make the most of this this season because if you want to go play in the pros, you've got a bigger spotlight. Like if if you want to uh, continue to impress, uh, continue to develop, continue to impress anyone in college football, like this is a bigger spotlight. I, I'm with you. I, I like that. Um, I like that Luke Fickle approach. I would never leave anywhere during the season. But it does get a little bit trickier once you get to like Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then you might start talking, if you're Luke Fickle, some of those better defensive players that, hey, I'll show you where I'm living. I can find you an apartment <laughs> right down the road because there's no transfer rules now. We can all go. We can bring we can bring some of you guys with me. You could start that. I mean, look what Gus did. He's got several Auburn players on that team. Big Cat Bryant was one of the big, you know, gets for him in, in Orlando. So that's a part of this process too now. Um the what what was the the James Franklin approach? Was he just told the media, "I'm I've told my team, and I, I'm not going to tell you what I told my team"? Is that the approach there? It's basically just been, you know, the the standard. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm focused. I do think that I, the more and more I thought about it, I think it would be a poor career move for James Franklin to leave a number one recruiting class on the table. So that's that's what makes it really interesting, I think, as far as the Franklin speculation in USC, because like the Penn, if he comes back to Penn State next year, it might be the best team he's had since he's gotten there. And it's like so I I do wonder, like he's that's if if they make if they make the offer to James Franklin, he's going to have a hell of a decision on his hand. That said, I don't think Penn State's recruiting class will still be number one by the time the dust settles. On sure. It. But when you've got 24 players committed and yeah, 14, no, of, 14 of them are blue chip players. Yeah, it's a good class. It's a really, yeah, but really good man, class. I, I think he's out of there. If he gets the offer when it's like when, when Dan Patrick on the Dan Patrick show is saying his sources, whatever agent it is that says <laughs> there's mutual interest on both sides. That to me is James Franklin calling his agent. Like Tom and I are saying, let him handle it. That's James Franklin saying, hey, I don't know if he's a Jimmy Sexton guy. I don't know who he is, but let's let's explore this option. Like it just it seems to, and I think they're actually a good fit for each other. I do think he might be the best option on the table for USC. So I feel like he wants it. I think he's the splashy name. He brings a lot of energy, brings recruiting, which is clearly a massive part of this. I would see him asking Kegel, Mike, and Key out to practice and doing his impression, like all of it. It's Hollywood. Like it just makes a lot of sense. Uh, one more question before we get out of here. This one comes from Dan. Dan says, This review is dedicated to Barton. Hashtag RIP Barton. He is not dead. It was a rough weekend for the Commodores, but he is alive. <laughs> Which of these, quote, flawed contenders do you have the most faith in being able to be in a position to actually compete with Alabama come playoffs? Georgia, Clemson, or Ohio State? Personally, I would pick Clemson just because I think it's more likely for DJ to be much better come into the season than it is for JT to make the same kind of leap for to make the same kind of leap or for Ohio state to fix their defense. Feel free to throw Oklahoma or any other team in the convo. I'll hang up and listen. I mean, can you throw Alabama in the convo as a flawed contender? No, he's he's saying to beat Alabama, though, right? Mm -hmm. Right, but he's he's setting Alabama. As yeah, the they're not perfect. Yeah, they're not. It's. I would say 
and this is a really weird question to answer because all these teams are going to be so different by the time the playoff comes around. But right now, I have the least amount of faith in Clemson. I think I would go Georgia just, and this is definitely recency bias because, again, it's still stuck in my head. Just watching that Alabama-Florida game and watching Florida beat Alabama's butt in the trenches, if if Florida's defensive front was able to do that, I think Georgia's defensive front is going to have plenty of success. And I think Georgia's offensive line will be able to push Alabama's front seven around too. And just looking at Clemson, I know that their defensive line is awesome, but their offensive line is bad. Ohio State, the offensive line is good, but the defensive line just has not really been all that impressive. So I think Georgia's the one that's impressed me the most on, most on both sides of the ball. And, you know, George Pickens is back and running, apparently. So that might be getting closer to happening in the near future. So by the time the playoff comes, Pickens might be back, which changes the dynamic of that offense. So right now, I would say Georgia. But ask me again next week. Yeah, it could change in a heartbeat uh, really fast. I think it's interesting none of us said Oklahoma. Um, By the way, I think Caleb Williams is the guy by the end of the season. I think think it's coming. I'm telling you. Just a hunch. I would say Georgia, Ohio State. Like, I, like, what's Clemson's bright spot on the season? Like, especially offensively. Like, there really isn't one. Oh, no, not yet. Season. No, so, like, they haven't even had that, okay, here's that. If we can just replicate that, except unless you go back to Notre Dame last year with DJ, like, oh, he had that game. But he hasn't even thrown that many yards against his FBS opponents on the total season as he did against Notre Dame in one game. Um Georgia, like you've had moments you see breakout when we know what the defense is, but JT Daniels gets back on track in a, against a lesser opponent. But still, we didn't see that happen against Georgia Tech, who they were supposed to beat by four touchdowns. So where have you seen that? I still, there's a part of me that looks at Ohio State and says, the offense is what it is. CJ Stroud, we've seen the upside. We've seen the talent, the backfield with Travion Henderson. We know the receiving core. The defense is an issue but I do wonder if some of this is scheme and they can start figuring out different schemes, bringing more guys up, playing a little bit more too deep, you know, too high safety, mixing coverages, you know, and that's going to be a process. But to Tom's point, maybe they look a lot different in five or six weeks. And I think the offense is good enough to carry them through a Big Ten schedule while their defense kinds of irons out their issues. And I do think you are still going to have to score a lot of points to beat Alabama. That's the one thing that makes me wonder, like, can Georgia make that an ugly game? And then, but again, Georgia might look different offensively where you have a lot more trust for their big playmakers. Nah. So I would say Georgia probably and then Ohio State. I don't think Georgia's going to look different. <laughs> I, I, have, I have just decided that um, Kirby Smart, look, he was, I think it was in the South Carolina game, but they've got four good backs. Like, before garbage time, Four different running backs who are all, I, there might be a three-star in there, but I'm assuming that between James Cook, Zamir White, Kenny McIntosh, um, and I'm missing on the fourth one right now, but like they are just rolling them through. And they say, with our offensive line, with these fresh legs, and with our defense, we'll field position you to, field position you to death. You won't, you like, know, eventually we'll break one of these runs. You'll just get sick of tackling. You know what Georgia doesn't have, what Florida did, and one of the reasons why I think it helps them to be able to run the football? A mobile, mobile quarterback. quarterback. And like all the two, like Deshaun Watson was mobile, Trevor Lawrence was mobile, like the, the quarterbacks that have beaten Johnny Manziel was mobile. Uh, most of the quarterbacks that have given Alabama's defense struggles 
have been mobile quarterbacks, even in the run game. Like it's just an extra a person. You don't have to account for JT Daniels in the run game. Like, so you can line up and say, all right, we're going to try to run it down your throat. But when those, when that extra defender, wherever he's coming from, doesn't have to worry about JT Daniels running the ball, then it kind of goes back to, all right, can you really run over Alabama's defense? And that's, that's a question mark, I think. If, and maybe it's a quarterback change, maybe Spencer Rattler is just like this seasonal wine that doesn't even get good until like mid to late October. Like maybe he's just not great at the start of the season and it takes him a little while. But if Oklahoma's offense can like really stress defenses with the downfield passing attack, and right now I don't think Oklahoma's offense really stresses defense with the downfield passing attack. I think that we, I imagined that we were going to see like 2018 Oklahoma when Kyler Murray was the quarterback and the offense looks a lot more like 2019 Jalen Hurts so far this season, which thanks to a really, really good Oklahoma defense. Yeah, I said really, really talking about Oklahoma's defense, knowing that they gave up 35 points to Tulane, but I think some of that's because the offense just turtled up a little bit. But anyway, I think that Oklahoma's defense, if they can take that offense to the next level, Oklahoma might be my answer here, but I would say Oklahoma or Ohio State because you would have, uh, in the Ohio State example, you're assuming that they have improved a little bit on defense. In the Oklahoma example, you are assuming that they've improved a little bit on offense. And we're talking about a college football playoff game where you're going to have to be explosive and you're just going to have to go out there and score points. So I think those would be, uh, those would be my picks for the question. You can follow... Him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back with you live Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, youtube.com slash cover three for our week four locks. Can't wait. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.